So, uh, so Kylane Dalton, welcome back to the to the journey. Now it feels like I've had you guys on a handful of different times throughout throughout the um, the, the the experience of the journey. Um, but in today's episode, I specifically want to talk about an event that we just recently had, and you guys were uh, uh, had some pretty critical parts involved with that. Uh, Kylie, you were one of our panelists on the Out of the Ashes event. It was a Shatter Our Silence um, event that we do annually. Uh, a big fundraiser and um and you were involved with being one of the panelists and then dalton you were doing a lot of behind the scenes and a lot of the prep work um before so um and the, and the other reason why i wanted to have you guys i not only because you guys were intimately involved beforehand and then obviously there that night but you both have similar to the panelists you both have very similar background i mean obviously kylie with your art um, in your experience with that, but then Dalton, um, being the head wrestling coach and, and at Belvedere high school or Belvedere co-op now, and then being a collegiate wrestler yourself, I wanted to get your perspective about some of these things. So, uh, welcome, welcome to the, to the journey in this episode. Thanks uh, for having us back. So, uh, so tell me a little bit, um, let me start with you, Kylie. You, and now we've had a little bit of time, uh, to, to, uh, process, you know, that night and, and everything. What was your, what would you take away for you? What was that experience like for you being um, one of the panelists and being part of Out of the Ashes? Yeah, I mean, it was different than anything I've ever experienced. I thought it was really cool that we got to be a part of the um, long-term planning process to see everybody in a room collaborating much, you know, from different uh perspectives Mm -hmm. I guess Mm -hmm. and see those ideas kind of go through their own creative process like creating this event was a little mini hero's journey I think for everybody involved and every meeting was a micro hero's journey Mm -hmm. too so that was really cool to see and to be a part of and then the event itself I mean I think it went really well I think Um, it all started with your vision Mm -hmm. and then to see that vision come to life was really um, a cool experience to just be in a room of 200 people and like on the stage it's kind of like that surreal I don't know if you felt like that like oh it's here sure yeah <laughs> this yeah, is it yeah well, so. it was, you know, it's interesting you said that because I think I mentioned this to you before or bo- to both of you before is that in the midst of doing it um, uh, asking you guys the questions I was so engrossed with the four of you that I kind of forgot or, or kind of like it felt like I was just so engrossed with you guys. I wasn't even, they just happened to be, the audience just happened to be watching. And, um, and didn't, I didn't realize that at the time until later, um, when I thought about it, that it, it was less, it was more about, I was so engrossed in the conversation and about what we were saying, even though I did mention, you know, kind of turn to the audience and talk to them about different, um, recapping at different segments. Um, it, it, it at that time felt more, much more that I was engaged in the conversation with you guys. So, mm-hmm. um, and that's something that has not happened to me before. I, I don't recall ever having that experience, but this was the first time I'd ever done this one too. So it, right. it's a little bit different. So, yeah. so, so Dalton, what did you, what was your thoughts on? A lot of the same. I thought it was really uh, cool to finally, um, see, you know, everybody in there. Like I, like I said before, we were, um, very intrigued about the idea of putting on an event such as that and bringing um the conversational aspect of of mm, i don't know thoughtful dialogue Mm -hmm. to uh to a group of people i thought that was pretty cool sure you know i remember when tommy had me on his tv show and 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 part of what he had what he stated why he wanted me on to be on his show because the show is 30 minute segment and um, and he said he wanted to do a longer format because he has seen he had seen me at different times be interviewed on the news, but it only you know last you know thirty seconds, maybe forty five seconds. It doesn't last very long. And he wanted to ask more in depth questions. And so it's it, I know that was part of the vision of this particular um, night was to have a longer format so that we could get a little bit deeper into the stories, a little bit more into the dialogue and. Um, of, of that aspect and and because we didn't practice it at all we didn't have any you know uh, other than you you guys the two of you guys meeting with um, uh, meeting with each one of the panelists ahead of time and talking to them about the the intro interview or intro video um, 
you know, we hadn't really gone over much um, about what was going on. And we definitely hadn't practiced all of us being together. So um, we tried to keep it into a little bit more opportunity for it to be a little bit more authentic. So mm -hmm. if, if you think about that night, um, was there anything in particular that stood out to you um, or either one of you that may have stood out about the night, either for yourself or what you may have um, you know, just just from what you experienced that night? Um. I mean, yeah, I think a few things. One, it was just cool to be in Rockford, right where, I mean, Rockford area is where we're all from. Right. So to be in a room in a place where I've, you know, spend a lot of time, and it's pretty central, Giovanni's, like mm -hmm. a lot of people in Rockford know Giovanni's. And to see the vendors, I think, and in my mind, I was thinking, like, this is cool, but there are so many people that could be here. Like, there's so many... Um, people in the Rockford area that are doing positive things. Mm. Like, I, I can't, I don't really know what I'm trying to say other than like to see the vendors there and realize you could fill the entire room with vendors and vendors are just simply that, like people that are trying to make a difference or trying to do something positive and that you could literally just invite people into a room of vendors and have no dinner and no stage and nothing else and just have them walk around and like, you know, a fair of some kind. Yeah. That part alone, I think, was really um, cool to see the amount of people that are trying to do something cool in Rockford. Well, I think that I know for me that even though I was like super busy with different things getting set up beforehand, there was a lot of energy that was there before we even started the dinner part. Um, that 45 minutes from like 530 to 615 when people were coming in meeting with the different vendors, talking with each other. Um, there was a lot of energy there and, um, in good energy, it was positive. And, um, and someone said, um, Lori Nelson had said to me that, uh, how amazed she was that she like felt like she knew everybody there in one fashion or other. Someone knew somebody and there was like one, one step, you know, away from yeah. being connected to, to someone else. And I thought that was kind of a, um, a, a cool opportunity as well to see, yeah. um, you know, like you said, 200 people there that had some level of connection to each other and all coming there for a, a particular uh, common common cause or common thing. Yeah, you know? I think and, the same. I mean, one I would say this idea I've been bringing up is um, the idea of conscious capital. Oh, yeah. So whether the vendors are, you know, uh, the vendors, the event itself, um, it's all action based around one thing. And, and that's, you know, making yourself a better version of yourself. So that was pretty cool to see. But, um, yeah, I mean, um, the the um, the the acknowledgement of the story um, of artists, artists and athletes is something that. Um, we've talked a lot about about encouraging the journey in those particular um, areas, and I think it's an opportunity to start the conversation. I think this is where this conversation is kind of leading to is like, so, you know, we talk about what, so what, now what? Yeah. And uh, that was a very good introduction to the what. And uh, more, I think that was the coolest thing about the event is the action-based um you know, like you said, the, the, the resilience piece, right? Mm -hmm. The word is there and, and, um, it's in the minds of a lot more people now. So now it's like, how do you build it? What is it? Mm -hmm. You know, so on and so forth. Yeah. So that was, it was, it was a, yeah. Well, Josh Patterson, who was our MC that night, I think he talked about this idea of, um, I can't remember what term he used, but it was this uh, collective conscious, right? This this idea that we were all in the same mindset, and and then he you know wraps up by saying you know because everyone there had the opportunity to have a shadow of silence wristband, you know wristband, that everyone now has this con opportunity to be connected in a different way, and as he pointed out, like family, but this this consciousness, the social consciousness about that we're all hearing similar stories, we're relating to it a certain way, and then moving, or at least have the potential of moving in the same direction. Um, some powerful things can start happening when, um, when that, ha you know, when that um, uh, is allowed, you know, allowed to be. Because it's, like we've talked many times before, um, 
I'm the one who's blocking God's presence. I'm the one who's blocking that creativity. Um, it's my thinking that's blocking it. When I get out of the way, it just flows. And, and I have to, you know, sometimes I have a hard time keeping up with it. But um, more times than not, if I'm ever stuck, it's usually between my ears. It's something to do with my thinking um, that's stuck between, you know, between, between my own ears. It's, it's my stuff that I'm stuck with. You know, it's very seldom an external thing. I'm internalizing the external thing, and that's where I get stuck. So, um, any as, as we're just talking about the night, and I know that you know one of the things that you're right when we talked about the the long term planning, and and as we found out, maybe it wasn't that long term. We you know we started talking about it in May, and you know, and all of a sudden, it less than you know less than four months later, we you know we had this event. We'll be doing a little bit more planning for the next event, and, and planning a little bit ahead of time. But um, th- that the long-term vision was about creating that experience in which th- we could have a community event, having bringing people together, there being dialogue, but utilizing the, the impact of story, of people telling their story about not only their struggles, how they used arts, how they used athletics, and the things that they gained from it, but then things that maybe they got distracted by and then how do they use those same principles that they learned there um, to, to overcome those things, to fail forward, to transform. So um, any last things that you guys can think of regarding either the event or anything that's come, come from sense? Um, something that I thought about, and I, I like to trust that everything that was needed to be said was said. When I thought about uh, being a part of the event and having an opportunity to speak to whoever decided to show up, Um, One idea I didn't bring up that I think is really important for people to know is that, and I heard Brene Brown say this, she's um, an author and a speaker, but she said, unexpressed creativity is not benign. So everybody has creative energy within them. Every single person has creative energy. And you do different things with it, but if you do nothing with it, it's not benign, meaning it has a negative energy if it stays within you and it will make you sick and it will make you frustrated. It will make you angry. It will make you feel unfulfilled because you're holding something back. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really interesting thought because a lot of people go, I'm not creative or I'm not an artist or I'm not, I don't have any talents. It's like, but you have energy within you that has to be expressed. And if Mm -hmm. it's not, it will turn bad within you. Yeah. Well, I think this. I I think you know that's an interesting point when that creative energy, right? There's there's it has a life, right? And so to be creative, to to have a creative thought, to have a creative, um, have this idea about wanting to create something, it's like creating life. It's 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 a lot of energy, and to suppress that, you have to use a lot of energy to keep that down, and that's going to end up being toxic because of that suppression right um and be, and and what usually holds us back from being creative fear fear of not working out fear of failure fear of being ridiculed fear of not being good enough mm-hmm. so um i think that's a good point of being able to, okay how do i channel it how do i put it not suppress it how do i the opposite of at least putting it out there or something Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think you just brought up a good point about the word creativity and how you know creativity is often this used to describe artistic representation. Mm-hmm. And I think this event also brought up oh no, athletics is a, a creative expression, is or, or athletics provides an opportunity for creative expression. Right. But um, you know we could go on and on about the different forms of creative expression. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're into business, then business and marketing and advertising and, and, uh, uh, sharing your vision for your company, um, explaining your, your, your services, all of that stuff's, um, expressed through creativity, using what you know, and then using the tools that are in front of you to, um, kind of like, you know, going back to art, you have your hands and you have clay how do you make the the end um product so i think that's a cool segue into the creative expression is something uniquely within us all how you use it those are the different types of forms um that we have to you know 
So everybody has the creative energy. It's your job to find out what is your what is your path for the expression. What right. is your uh, um, um, you used the word um, um, what was the word that you used uh, um, vehicle. You know what is your vehicle to uh, be creative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that can change too. I think that's that was the confusing part for me, and I I think a lot of people could relate to this. I thought I found it. I'm a painter, and then when I stopped painting, I was like, oh, I let go of my creativity. But I was writing, mm-hmm. ma- writing blogs, and then that changed into doing a podcast. Right. So it can change. Don't be afraid. If you let one thing go, that creates space for the next thing. It can yeah. show up in different ways. Well, and I think that that's kind of key because each one of those. Uh, mediums, right, are just that, and, and the create the the creative that'd be you, that'd be Dalton. The the creative is the person, and that's where the create creativity comes from. The medium in which we use should not limit, you know, the the creative. And 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 there's going to be a time and a place for different ones, and there's going to be ones that are going to be a little bit. Um, more acceptable. There's going to be ones that are going to catch on a little bit faster, whatever it may be. And there's going to be ones that we're going to be more comfortable with. Um, and some way have to practice that more. I know for me writing, um, I have to practice at writing, um, more so than, you know, dialoguing, you know, and, yeah. um, cause I've practiced a lot of dialoguing, you know, and one of the side benefits of being a therapist, that's what you do all the time is talk and listen. Um, so there's more practice. I have more hours in doing that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's the only medium for me to be creative. Yeah. We often use the word talent to, uh, describe, like to guide ourselves into certain things. You are artistic so that's your talent right? right but like what you're bringing up is talent is this this starting point that you think you th- where you're at right and and some of um whatever things uh, uh maybe uh, um, attract you um more you tend to have higher levels of talent in those things right but like you said building skill is it is an important aspect of creating more talent right so that you can have more creative expression so that that's where i really like to find myself into the idea of like you have all this creative uh energy how do you want to do it or what um intrigues you in the current state and then how can you get better at it so that you can be better at expressing your creative energy right yeah And actually, I think that's an interesting point to bring up that is um, that helps us kind of transition to talking about resilience, because when we first started hanging out and I was really diving into like um, mastering my craft of painting, I had this idea that painting, because I was relatively good at it, it was the lowest hanging fruit for me to start doing. I thought it should always feel good and it should always be easy and it should be beautiful and magical and I should light candles and play music and he kind of like woke me up to like you're romanticizing this thing and you can't do that because that will actually hurt you because then the moment it doesn't feel like that you're going to quit and I did and I would cry and I would leave the studio and I wouldn't want to come back to it and I thought I ruined the painting and so that was my first um my first real encounter with having to choose to endure discomfort Mm -hmm. and to push through it because I really wanted to paint, but it did get hard every time. So I'm like, okay, if I want to keep painting and it's not going to feel good every time, I'm going to have to endure discomfort. So, so when you think back about that and and yeah, this is definitely an area I want to go into because the word resiliency is thrown around a lot and, and resiliency is in response to struggle, in response to a setback or failure or disappointment or whatever, right? So it's, a, it's in response to, but in your case, when you were um, doing art and again, you talk about getting hard, well, what got hard? Like, like, what do you mean? What got, like being a non, using that medium, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't, you know, of painting, I don't, I, I don't paint. And, and um, w- when you say got hard, what do you, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. First <clears throat> thing that comes to mind is the simplest thing that everyone can identify with. And that is, um, 
your attention span. Mm. It literally just started to take the slightest amount of effort to keep paying attention. Like I got bored. I'm like, okay, I've been painting for like 45 minutes now and it's not done yet, but I don't really want to keep going because I'm bored. Mm. I want something that's quicker to give me maybe dopamine quicker. Mm. Uh, Maybe I want to eat. Maybe I want to take a break and watch TV. Maybe I want to check my phone because that's just a quicker like dose of happiness. Mm. And this is boring. So that's the first encounter of um, discomfort or it getting hard. Past that, if you push through that and you go, no, I'm going to keep doing it, then all of a sudden, for me anyway, the self-doubt comes in. Like, you're not good at this. Like, you, you're probably not going to make this painting look good. The end result isn't going to be as good as you hoped. So let's talk about that part, right? So, so the first part is discipline. Right. So we got a distracting thought comes in and do I just act on that distracting thought? Right. So mm-hmm. shiny object comes over, you know, a th- shiny thought comes by when we check my phone or it beeps or whatever. Right. And am I going to stay focused on what I'm doing or am I going to go and look at the shiny object? Right. Mm-hmm. So that's that's self-discipline, which I think is key, because especially when it's not exciting, the newness of the excitement's not there. Right. And you don't have. In particular, you don't have a coach there or an instructor or someone there telling you, you know. Um, but this idea of self-doubt, what, what do you mean? Like self-doubt, like what does that mean? Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's like, what do you mean? What does it mean? It just means I doubt myself. Well, yeah, I mean, don't you th- like you have an idea of the outcome. You start to try to produce the outcome. It's not producing itself. Yeah. And now you don't think you can do it. Right. I guess it's easier when I externalize it and I think about people that have come to paint Mm -hmm. in my class and I watch them have self-doubt. The moment that they start and it doesn't, for instance, their canvas doesn't look like my canvas Mm. because that's the idea in their mind. Mine's supposed to look like hers. Mm. If I'm painting, my idea is in my head and I go, mine's supposed to look like this, this Mm. idea in my head. It, it is an idea of an expectation, and that could be, you know, what you think your book's supposed to look like or your body's supposed to look like or any th- expectation. And the moment it doesn't look just like that, you're comparing, and then you go, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Because it, right at this moment, I didn't do it yet. Mm-hmm. So you lose trust in yourself and your ability to get to the end. So this, So expectations, right? That, I'm, that it's supposed to look a certain way, and the comparison, either comparison to what I've done before, comparison to what I have in my head, comparison to Kylie's on, on, on display, or, or if we're talking about sports, if, you know, comparison to somebody else, um, that's where the self-doubt comes in. Yeah. But I think that's it's important, right? So I don't know if I'm going off topic too far, but like um, – the self-doubt is is uh, is a logical reaction because they the painting is supposed to look like her painting, mm-hmm. right? Cause, or the idea in your head. Yeah, or the idea in your head, or the picture cool. that you're drawing. The the yeah. goal is to get the actual outcome that you you had there. So I think that the doubt is is this is where we can get into the the real truth about the idea of what resiliency is. Yeah. It's committing yourself to the mastery so that you can get that end result and not allowing your brain to tell you that you're not capable of it Mm -hmm. because the truth is you might not be capable of it. Well, here's the the truth is you are not capable of it right now Mm -hmm. because if you were, you would not have doubt. You just do it. Right. Right. That's why, you know, um, it's easier to do things that you've already done. Right. Because Mm -hmm. there's no doubt I've already done them. Right. Um, so this goes back into this idea of like, you know, when I think of resiliency and I think of like, well, when I think of the creative expression, right, I think of um, um, whether you're in battle or you're um, trying to fix something, every every piece of your um, toolbox is important, Right. And what's cool about building skills and and committing to mastery is like you continue to build up more tools 
so that when you're sitting down in front of that canvas, you can do all these types of things. And I remember specifically for her, when she started doing faces, she um, she would struggle on certain times and get upset about it. Well, I just know how my brain works with wrestling. When When you're not good at wrestling, you don't think for a moment that you're not capable you go okay i got to do a thousand single legs so that i can have a single leg mm-hmm. right so you just immediately go i need to do a whole bunch of quantity in this specific thing so that i can be really good at it once mm-hmm. i'm really good at it now i don't have to think about it as much mm-hmm. so it's like if you're not good at painting faces if that's where the doubt comes in well then just start scribbling on a uh, get a notepad and just dedicate this Put to faces wraps, basically yeah. yeah which that actually brings up a really interesting point that i think is super important and that is the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset and i realized really quickly that i along with many other people have a had a fixed mindset meaning i thought okay if this is how good i am right now and this is the obstacle i'm hitting right now i'm forever going to be at this point and i'm never going to be able to get better than this And I think a lot of that is perpetuated by um, the school system, you know, just of having pass or fail, of getting, like, a good grade or a bad grade. Mm -hmm. Uh, And without the conversation around the the thing about getting better, it's like, you're not good at these things. The black or white of, like, you either got it or you didn't get it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And then um, parents accidentally, you know, parents accidentally feeding into that, even even in the direction of over praising mm-hmm. um, your children. Cause I think that's probably where I fell. My parents told me I was good all the time and I'm super grateful for that. But it also showed me that like that was, you know, it, it was, you're amazing right now instead mm-hmm. of being like, well, you're good, but you could get better and let's mm-hmm. talk about how you can get better. Yeah. And I'm sure they did that sometimes, but um, I needed to work on building a growth mindset, and he helped me do that by by showing me, okay, you've got to put the reps in, and mm-hmm. when you do, you'll see yourself getting better. Yeah, and I did, and I think this all goes down to like this idea of like where your where that end goal is, the mastery aspect. And I think this is where I get so fired up because when it when it comes to doing anything, you you want to be. Why, why would you commit to getting 60% of your potential out? Like, why wouldn't you just say, well, let's see how far I can go. Like, what is mastery? What, what is, you know, the, the higher levels of this? Because going into what she talks about with the parent aspect, I see this all the time with, with youth athletics. And they, they're ha- they have success in seventh grade. They're the greatest ever. Mm-hmm. They don't have success. They they should move on to something else, right? Mm-hmm. And and I try to tell everybody, like no matter how much success your child has in seventh grade, they can't be good at the sport of wrestling. They can't. They they can be good in comparison to the all the other kids that are his age, but they can't actually have even close to mastery level right. skill. Right. Like it just you just can't do it. You don't right. know how to use your body. You don't know all of the tools, and you've never been up against another equal um, counterpoint trying to stop what you're doing. So that idea of, like, long-term commitment of, like, it's not going to – and I just watched a video this morning that I'm going to post with Gary Vaynerchuk. It's like, why would you not think that the greatest of all time, if you want to be the greatest or commit to mastery, why would you think that that means that all of your behaviors and actions – are going to be easy mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. um you know going into that resilience idea it's like if you want resiliency do you think it's going to come easy mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. the word describes perseverance yeah. you know so well and then and i want to segment into um i want to segment into the idea of um and we talked about this before about having big hairy audacious goals like big goals like really outlandish goals yeah and versus safe goals i remember when i was young probably a little bit older than seventh grade but i remember being a teenager and when i would with my training partners i would pick rep uh, um, my goals of how many reps i was going to do on a particular exercise 
of of where I knew that I could could get them, right? I think I've talked about this before that I would shoot for let's say eight to ten, and then I would always do ten or get to ten, and then if I could do ten, then I could push myself to do two more. It wasn't until later when I had matured more is that I put it out there that I need to go for twelve, and then if I have anything left then I'm going to try to get two more. But 12 was was definitely going to be a stretch. Eight was not a stretch. I could do more than eight. Eight was going to be easy. I could attain eight. 12 was going to be a stretch. Let's now see if I can yeah. get 12 and then if I can stretch. So this idea of putting yourself out there, the idea of having goals that are bigger than your comfort level. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, this this again, she knows – as well as anybody, this is a topic that I think I'm I'm most passionate about when it comes to educators, school systems, other coaches, and other teachers. I hear I've heard other coaches tell kids to have realistic goals, right? And never in my life have I had realistic goals, and it's because I had unrealistic goals that I was courageous enough to do things that I would have never thought to do Mm -hmm. where I went above and beyond my physical and mental capabilities you know in wrestling we talk about find the wall and push it back right each Mm -hmm. and every workout find the wall and push it back Mm -hmm. and the only way that you're going to find that wall and push it back is through audacious unrealistic goals Mm -hmm. and the thing that I think pushes other people to tell other people to have realistic goals is they've never believed in themselves or had somebody else believe in themselves enough for them to actually put in the work to um to to push their wall back mm-hmm. right and you know cuz almost everything is just accountability and like consistency right are you doing the behaviors that those audacious goals would require one to do mm-hmm. over time yes or no right. if it's no then those audacious goals aren't goals they're dreams yeah right goals have action towards those so i i think it's just it's something that um yeah i just don't understand why why we I mean, obviously, never mind. I know exactly why we do this. It's we do, fear. yeah. We, <laughs> it's fear, right? Yeah, it's just fear, right? Yeah. That's why we don't do it. We don't want to. We. This is the hardest thing to explain to um, parents and my athletic director, right? The idea, like, do you either you think wrestling or sports matter, or they don't matter? It's like, no, I don't care what level success you achieve. But by pursuing the level of success, um, you have growth, right? It's the quote: uh, "Shoot for the shoot for the stars, or shoot for the moon, get to the stars, or something." Which is actually right? backwards. Yeah, it's backwards for distance wise. But the idea of like <laughs> you 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 shoot for something because that's the thing that's going to raise you up. It's mm-hmm. going to pull you out of where you're currently at to the next level of yourself. Yeah. So it's. It, the, you know anybody who's ever done athletics who's had success at the highest level or gotten to the highest level they go it's all about who you become in the process mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the process is so important but you can never get to that point if you don't commit to something right. that's that's audacious that's higher than yeah. than where you're currently at you know i think about just as you were talking about like stretching goals like going beyond you know like when they talk about with like the apollo 13 right when they put him putting a man on the moon right i mean that idea i know that we were in a competition right with russia regarding who was going to do it first but prior to that they believed it was impossible you know when when america was first you know it was all wilderness right the idea that these individuals went and moved their families, right, came to explore um, and, and totally put themselves out there because we didn't under, they didn't understand even, like, you know, the sea, you know, didn't even understand the oceans, didn't understand a lot of things, and let alone what was going to be waiting for us once they got here. Those are just, like, crazy to me 
audacious goals or in I'm, I'm reading a book right now called tribe and they're talking about that when um nazi germany was on their reign well part of part of there's a lot of factors that played into it but some of it was a passivity of hoping he wasn't serious hoping that he he wasn't uh gonna be taking over all these communities, all these countries. And then when it became crossed some line, then the response from the allies um, of, of, uh, was, was another huge audacious goal. How are we going to do this? And, um, but knowing that we had now got thrust into something that was bigger than them, you know, bigger than ourselves that we had to participate in. You know, I think those are all things. Some of it's intentional goals, right? How do I put it out there? Um, and, and I think of, I always love hearing stories about different entrepreneurs, different inventors, different because of they had a vision and had a dream of what they wanted, what they thought was possible, and then they pursued it. Yeah. But it wasn't just having the dream. It was figuring out. I remember, I remember, and I told this story the other night, when, when I first started Shatter Our Silence, well, it wasn't even, I didn't start it yet. It was an idea. And the idea was started boiling down after we talked to a handful of people. And I was at that time was a business partner of mine. And we talked about having a, having a rally because we were talked about all these different things, like a, a poster competition and all these types of things. Well, he goes, well, let's, let's, how about, let's do a rally. And I was like, Okay, what does it look like? Well, I got a friend. He knows, uh, he knows Brian Cuban. Well, I'm going to call Brian Cuban up. That's Mark Cuban's um, from Shark Tank and owner of the, uh, the basketball team. And, and uh, I know Brian Cuban. He's uh, an attorney. He is in recovery um, from depression, suicide, and addiction. Um, I'm going to call him up. Literally in my office calls him up. What day are we going to do? We picked a date. And then all of a sudden we have a date, and he calls up another friend for another speaker. And all of a sudden we had a date. We had no venue. We had two months to pull this off, and I'm like, oh, shit. He flew off back to where he lived because he wasn't in Rockford. And I literally remember driving down the street going, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out there now. i got to figure this out somehow because I didn't want this to fall flat. you know. And through, through the combination of a lot of people helping and doing a lot of hustling and just persisting, um, it, it, it became something. You know, and we learned a ton from that night, um, but it got the ball moving. Um, but there was definitely an oh shit mo moment that I put myself out there, and now I'm gonna have to figure out how to build the ladder to get me there, or maybe it was the other way around. The ladder got kicked out from underneath me. I got to figure out how to get it back up. And um, but I remember that in a couple different areas of my life, um, of, of you know. One was the, you know, with Shadow of Silence, another one when I started KP, you know, different things that were bigger than myself. Um, but because I committed to it, I had to then start developing a sequential plan and then being open to um, uh, some flexibility, some adaptation along the way. But it was that persistence. And I think for me, that was a huge piece like when I started KP, that I had to set up a business plan, which, of course, I knew nothing of what that meant. I had to literally look it up at the library what business plan was. This was in 99, uh, 2009. And, um, but one of the, the critical things was is not only setting that I wanted an opening date. I started doing this in December. My opening date was in beginning of May. And I set milestones of things that I wanted to make sure that I thought, okay, I need to have this done by January, this done by February, March. And each time I checked those things off, I got farther and farther down the process, which the emotional reasons of why I wanted to open up KP, um, by the time February came around, they weren't there anymore, but I had committed to the plan and I had already crossed certain things off, but so I couldn't turn back. Um, which I think for me was huge to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. That's what they say. If you want to take the island, burn the boats. I just right. thought of Tony Robbins too. Yeah. Just talking about, you know, like... Commitment. Yeah. Like real commitment. Yeah. The scary ones. Yeah. You know? And if your why has heart, your how grows legs. So, so many, you know, the human brain, it's not a personality trait. 
the human brain goes, I want this, but I don't know how I'll get it, so I won't try for it. Right. Instead of going, no, I just really want this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to figure it out. And and that goes into this idea. Of, I mean, I literally remember, like, I had no idea what it took to get a college scholarship in wrestling. No idea. I mean, but I don't know if it was my parents, maybe some of my coaches, maybe a camp or something, but there was an idea of figure it out. Mm-hmm. And this is what I try to tell parents. I tr- tell the kids, right? Like I know a lot of stuff about the endeavor of wrestling. And I could tell a kid everything. I could sit him down and say, hey, this is everything you need to know. But why would I want to take away the most important aspect of the process is being so committed to the outcome that you're willing to just figure it out. Right. You know, figure it out, commit to it. And if you commit to it and you understand that you're going to have to figure it out, then you'll, you'll get there. Yeah. Well, I think that part of it is so critical as coaches and instructors um, that we encourage people to figure out, you know, go out and put some, as I was talking to someone yesterday, that they have some skin in the game and they're going to search that. And then when they come back with ideas, then they have an opportunity to dialogue with you and go, okay, this is what I come up with. What do you think? And you can give them, be critical, you know, give them some criticism about it. And depending on their resistance and why they're resisting, it may be a learning opportunity for us as the coaches or the instructor, or we may be able to guide them, or we may come up with a third option with that. But if they don't have skin in it, then there becomes a dependency on us to, to, um, for us to answer everything for them. And then that means they're not fully committed. Mm -hmm. They want it. But they're not necessarily. It's kind of like we talk about in counseling, and this is where I want to kind of move in next. We talk about the t- in counseling. Sometimes people will come in to um, sign up for counseling because they want to feel different, and that's there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. It's a great place to start. And then other times, will they'll come in and they want change. They know they have to change, or they start off with wanting to feel different, and then they come to realize that what brought them there to feel different was opening the door for something bigger than themselves for change. And that change is referred to as transformation. And this idea of, let's talk about that for a little bit, about this idea of transforming because, or recreating my story or moving into a bigger story. Um, Resiliency is, is, um, is a life, uh, a mindset, right? A lifestyle and of, of learning how to look at opportunities that come up to grow from, right? And, and then also how to, be, how to discern what's a distraction versus what is something that is I need to pursue. You know, what's an opportunity to pursue versus a distraction? Doesn't mean it's bad. It just doesn't fit for where I'm at. But transformation is these different time periods, these different moments in which we can recreate our story. Our story is now going to go to, I think you said earlier, to the 2.0 level. It's going to go to that next level. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. What, what do you, which, what, when you think of transformation, different than resiliency, but resiliency is important for transformation to happen, what, what comes to your guys' mind? Well, for me, I think the first word that comes to mind is around the idea of the word identity right and i think transformation is like when you realize that your your former view or your view of yourself up until that point um you you have an epiphany of you can you can recreate yourself not necessarily ignoring and forgetting the past it's that you are not just that in which you were um i think that first comes to mind at least yeah i think of you know the caterpillar turning into a butterfly metaphor and how that's not a a painless process Mm -hmm. the caterpillar literally has to digest its own body (laughs) to become a butterfly Mm -hmm. and that's what transformation inevitably feels like it's not like it might feel like that it has to feel like that because of what dalton said and that is the importance of our identity it's the strongest driving force for us as humans it's the idea of who we think we are and who we think other people think we are Mm -hmm. and when we want to change when we want to transform we have to literally let that self die 
So it feels like a death. Mm-hmm. And, and that's hard. And, you know, I think <clears throat> you have to let go of it. But so you, if you think about, <clears throat> excuse me, if you think about life, like human life in a long spectrum, you have these, these individual lives that last, you know, 80 to 100 years. And then you have generations after generations that equal, you know, thousands of years. Um, and then, you know, go on from there. But one of the things that we were talking about is um, audacious goals, right? And how we were watching a video yesterday with Oprah. And Oprah talked about when she goes into an office, she brings not only herself, but she brings the the what did she say the consciousness or the the presence of the 10,000 ancestors the ancestors that have come before mm-hmm. yeah. and so like when you think of death like you don't think you don't have to think death meaning it's gone like right. a past part of you a past part of your family a past part of your culture it's the urge to grow that that allows this thing to continue to change. Mm-hmm. So it's it's committing to the butterfly. And this goes back to the stuff that I'm really into is like um, the Greeks believed this thing called arete is the highest version of yourself. The, the most virtuous um, form is reaching your potential. And like if you think of the human experience collectively, like the highest potential is what so many of us are trying to push the the collective too right to um and that's the butterfly it's getting towards the butterfly and uh you don't necessarily forget or like i think this is one of the hard parts we have right now is like anything that's happened in the past that's wrong we shame it Mm -hmm. it's like well now you're never gonna like grow fully because you're gonna constantly um shame the mistakes and the mistakes are the you know what we are trying to figure it out so and they've what they are what have made you. Yeah, they're literally the thing that continues to push you into wherever you're currently yeah. at. So not only should you not shame mistakes or pain from the past, you should not should. You can find gratitude for them. Mm-hmm. And that feels much more um, helpful, I think, mm-hmm. to do that. Well, we, we've talked numerous times about you know, the, the wisdom of Joseph Campbell when he talked about the hero's journey and when they, when he, we find ourselves in that dark night of the soul, find ourselves <clears throat> in that space in which now we're out there or something's been taken from us and we have to recreate ourselves and, or, or we, we either put ourselves out there. So we have, we have to follow through now with recreating ourselves or there is failure. And if you, had burned the bridges right now or burned the boats now what are we going to do um or if something's happened and now we're in a different space or something stopped working or whatever it is i think of in addiction work they talk about this idea of hitting a bottom where it doesn't work anymore whatever the it is and now you have to um, recreate yourself It, it is that transcendence from where I was, it, it, it's out of the ashes. It's transcending out of it. It's not saying, well, that was bad, so now I'm moving into good. Um, it's not that um, dualistic. It's not that black and white. It's what can I learn from it? And now there very much may be that if I've been using for 15 years, there may have been a lack of, and most likely there's going to be a lack of emotional development because it was stunted. So I'm 15 years emotionally younger, not developed than I am chronologically. So I may need to shut up and listen and learn from people who have more wisdom about this, but then how do I internalize? How do I bring it on as a tool? Um, So there's going to be that coaching that a sponsor or a mentor or something um, doesn't that and and in most if not all disciplines regardless if it's sport or art or spiritual development there is this death to self it's not a physical death i mean jesus talked to his followers about it's not that you're going to physically die or you're physically going to go back into the womb to be recreated again but it's this transcendence from uh, this dualistic thinking from what was before to this non-dualistic thinking or this next stage of your development. Um, it's a shift in perception. 
right? It's that is the beginning of it. And you're going to, you know, there's going to be ego involved. There's going to be fear involved. There's going to be unknowns involved. Um, an urgency and desperation. We've had different people here, the guests come in and they, um, they're going to find out that they, um, uh, they're not very patient. They want things faster and sooner than, uh, and, and many of us can relate to that, uh, that we want feedback. We want to know that we're doing, uh, we're moving in the right direction. Why do I need that feedback? Why is that external validation? Um, have I become dependent on that? You know, and, and if I am, what's that about? What, do I need to address that piece? Um, I heard, you know, um, with, with wrestling, right? If you lose or win the match, does it necessarily mean that that's your last time you'll ever wrestle or the last time you'll be involved with a sport? Why are you making such a big deal about it? Yeah. There's a time to grieve and a time to celebrate it, but then now it's time to move on. And, um, and I think about that, the, you know, a day or so after, you know, the event, this last event, and we were processing and talking about it. And I noticed by about two days later that I was getting close to being done talking about it. I I was okay. Now it's time to start moving on, um, with the next thing, uh, that I I mean, of course I was still interested in what people thought and getting feedback from people. But now that event's now in the past. We can learn from it. We can dialogue about it. But I don't want to stay there. Yeah. Um, I want to move, take what was from that night and move um, what was or wasn't from there. Yeah. It's just information. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's back to this, you know, consist, this conversation about the idea of resiliency. It's like yeah. ki- resiliency is like to continue, really. Yeah. Like, to continue like and this is why i think i like joseph campbell's work so much is the idea that it it's the best way to describe that it's not going to stop yeah Mm -hmm. right like you might be like talking about like some of your guests like you might be addicted to something that society is is viewing as really harmful or it is really harmful right that that is doing this and and then you somehow um maneuver your way out of it mm-hmm. you don't think there's something else that's going to come into your 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 environment that's going to challenge you right. the same way um every single day i'm challenged mentally and uh i try to challenge myself every day physically so because i know that it's never going to stop mm-hmm. right like everything is just a continual process when you get really good at art or when you get really good at athletics there's another thing that you're going to try to get really good at. So when people look for the destination, if when I get this job or when I get this amount of money or when I get this house or when I get this situation, everything's going to stop then. It's like mm. we all know that somebody, we're, somebody's going to die, right? So that's going to be something, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We all know that the economy continues to come up and down, up and down. The weather changes. Yeah, the weather the changes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like – resilience is just not being diverted through the process it's just continuing to to pursue the arate the highest form of yourself in whatever it is that you're doing yeah so yeah and what comes to mind as he's talking to is this idea um in the book the untethered soul Mm -hmm. by michael singer he talks about not clinging yeah and for me i think um Clinging is what led me to any type of addiction because I was clinging to, and it doesn't matter if it's positive or negative, I would cling to really, really happy moments and try to hold on and recreate, and that's where that romanticism comes from. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, this one time it felt really good when I was painting, so maybe I can recreate that really good feeling. Um, Or, you know, even holding on to past relationships. Well, when we were in love, it felt like this, so maybe I could recreate that. Or focusing on and clinging to the negative. And neither one produces uh, resiliency because you're staying stuck and you're standing still and you're not allowing the flow of life. So on a daily basis, I try to remember not to cling. And that's how you can even in micro moments have resiliency. Like say you get in an argument with your partner 
and then you're clinging to that one thing they said where you're like, no, they were wrong about that. I'm going to make sure they know they're wrong about this <laughs> mm-hmm. one thing. And you cling on that all day long. That's not resiliency. If you can let that thing go and just literally energetically release it, move forward, that's resiliency. Mm-hmm. You know, originally when, uh, I don't even remember now, two years ago or so, um, when I really started focusing on teaching and, and the and focusing on the topic of resiliency as as an antidote, as a solution with suicide, um, came as a result of a school district wanting me to come in and talk about um, talk about suicide to their students. And but but we but because of the circumstances, we we couldn't directly talk about suicide. And and so it. it came when one time when I was in the midst, midst of my uh, doing some meditation and doing some praying that that I should talk about this topic of resiliency and then start creating a program regarding that the idea was that when we're in that darkness and that darkness in this particular case the darker it gets the more hopeless or despair we feel if we've had opportunities when we've worked through tough times when we've had setbacks when we've um, we know gut-wise we were part of that, working our way out of it. We know it. it, it we, we just didn't get out of it, but we know it. If we can prov- build opportunities and provide opportunities for people to go through that, when we find ourselves again, for whatever the circumstances are, in that darkness, maybe it doesn't have to seem so desperate, so hopeless, so only two options. To be able to teach that there's always minimally three options, um, and that third option minimally could be a new path, right? It's what's well, what my projection is. That's usually that it'll always be this way. It's it's this. It'll you know, I, I it was it isn't what it used to be, or maybe there's a third option, right? And and I think that is this idea of what can. Um, developing resiliency, being open to transformation. But transformation is scary. Um, recreating yourself is scary because then you have to um, lose your what got you to this point yeah. or at least risk that you're going to lose that. Um, and in that part of it, you know, I, re- I remember a story, and I've, I've talked about it many times, that uh, um, a rich man, I remember a story. There was a rich man um, who went and talked to Jesus and said, "What do I need to earn? Uh, what do I need to do to go to heaven?" And I'm paraphrasing. And and so Jesus was throwing out, "Well, you need to do this." And the rich man said, "Check, I did that. I'm already good." Well, then do this. Check, or I did that. And then he looked at him and said, "You need to go and sell everything you have, and then come follow me." And he paused. He said, uh, I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> because for him, at least what I took out of that story, for him, that was his thing. He could do a lot of things, but that thing that kept him stuck, sounds like, at least in that story, was about um, whatever his wealth or whatever his identity, whatever his riches were representing to him. Did that mean that Jesus wanted him to be poor? No. Kind of like what we started with. I think in this particular case, Jesus saw that his riches were getting in the way of him being open for the next level of growth. Mm-hmm. It, I think those moments of transformation come there when we we have those things, we're addressing those things, and what are those things that are going to pull us? To, and if we use the platform of, sports, wrestling, or art, I think those elements, those platforms are opportunity for us to push ourselves. You know, just, I mean, I've been lifting weights since a you know, long time. I mean, was it, I'm 50, so 11, 39 years, it's a long time I've been lifting weights. A friend of mine showed me a new workout, so I started doing that workout. I'm like, oh my, <laughs> this sucks. Except that I feel more alive when I do it. I think about it before I go to do that routine. I'm like, I don't want to do this. And then once I start doing it, it pushes me 
and allows me to stretch myself, no pun intended, in this case, stretch myself out of that familiar zone. Um, is that is that transformation? I don't know if that particular example is transformation, but it definitely sharpening the resiliency saw, uh, resiliency yeah. tool. Well, when you're telling that story, I was thinking about something that um, I just think it's really important. And if, I mean, it's, it's kind of a natural thing, so I don't want to say it in a way it's like a, you should do this or teaching like this, but after you coach and teach long enough, and you've put in the work, right? Like I'm pretty confident about the work that I've put in from understanding a particular activity. Oftentimes, people don't fully trust. They don't give up their power, right? Because for whatever reason, they want to hold on to the idea that maybe this person doesn't know the answer, right? And it's that's an understandable thing. And Bruce Lee um, has a book about how you should pick your master how you should pick your coach um it's pretty interesting to think about the process that you should go through to choose who to follow or who to trust and let go of Mm -hmm. right because as a as a coach or somebody with any information um for somebody to really absorb it they need to let go of everything Mm -hmm. and trust you and so when, when I think about that story that you said, you know, um, I think it was just doing the same thing that any, you know, if you've watched Kickboxer, if you've watched Karate Kid, if you watched Bloodsport, any type of old karate movie from the 90s or something, um, you, you know, say, oh, I want training, I want training. It's like, well, go do this. What's this have to do with training? Mm-hmm. Well, go do this. This has nothing to do with training. It's like, oh, you don't want training. No, no. I'll do whatever. Right. Okay, now you're ready for training. Right. Because now you're committed. And this goes back to that thing. It's like you're initiating trust. You're initiating letting go of the oars. Like she would talk about, you know, the idea of, you know, you you go with it. But. Yeah, I'm just flowing downstream. Yeah. And I think... Obviously, we could go on and on about this, and you and I have talked about this before. Um, the idea of control. Mm-hmm. It, nearly everyone has, whether they realize it or not, certain things in place in their life that keeps them feeling like they're in control. Mm-hmm. And in that story you told, he, you know, for him it was his physical belongings and his riches to feel, you know, safe or in control or important, whatever it is. Um, but if we had to let go of those things, we'd feel in too much chaos, we'd feel too much uncertainty, we'd feel maybe at a deeper place, um, afraid for our life in mm-hmm. some way, like afraid for our safety, mm-hmm. even when it's not logical. Right. So uh, I think control is an interesting area to think about, to talk about, and to maybe challenge yourself on a daily basis to see, and I'm trying this in our relationship, I think as a female to release some control and let your partner lead um, is a great place to practice that surrender and mm. that that letting letting someone else lead you, yeah. and that's scary. You, you know, it's interesting just reflecting on that story, and as we're getting ready to kind of wrap up f- for this segment, what we don't know, or at least what I don't know about the story, is what happened after they parted. So. The story ends, you know, with with the man, the rich man walking away, not following, not selling his riches in the story. But what we don't know is that maybe because of that encounter, maybe he then thought to himself, I missed an opportunity, whatever. And maybe he then did something that was really the point anyways. I think in spiritual teachings or in good teaching, either way. It isn't about compliance all the time. It's about sometimes planting seeds. It isn't about shaming. So he so he doesn't follow. Okay. More importantly, what did it planting that seed of this is what you could do. You here's the invitation. You could sell everything and come follow me because obviously the things you're hanging on to are part of a problem. Or maybe it's holding you back. It's keeping you where you're at. Maybe metaphorically that's what that meant. But we don't know what he did later. Maybe he just kept doing what he'd always been doing. Yeah. Maybe. Or maybe 
he did transform and change because that seed was planted. Those are the beautiful things about stories that we don't know. How we can attach ourselves to those stories, see ourselves in the story. Certain people and with that teacher, they dropped everything. They dropped their nets, they dropped their career, they dropped their families and went following. We know those stories because that's what was written about. We don't know about the ones who didn't accept the invitation. I don't think it should be implied that they all were in misery because they didn't follow. Maybe they still did change. Maybe they just caught on to the movement a little bit later. Um, Because we don't know. Just because they don't go out for wrestling in seventh grade doesn't mean they won't go out in ninth grade. Or just because they're too fearful to to take a painting class or, or a personal growth class or they come and they're closed doesn't mean that the seeds that were planted may not be there ready to grow at another time Mm -hmm. so um, as we get ready to wrap up this discussion about about resiliency about transformation any any parting thoughts for the people listening yeah um while we were talking i was thinking about this one quote from marcus aurelius if it's able to be endured endure it Mm. yeah Mm -hmm. and um i was thinking about the Oprah video he referenced earlier where she talks at Stanford we watched yesterday. And uh, she said that, you know, if you look at your whole life, if you look at all of it all at once, and it's really overwhelming, but if you just look at what is the next right move, Mm -hmm. that's the only thing you can focus on. And a lot of spiritual teachers talk about this, a lot of Mm -hmm. teachings talk about this, but literally you can only do one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. So today, right now, don't worry about your whole life. Just what's the next right thing? Yeah. So don't I like that, the idea about if it can be endured, choose to endure it. And how do we go about doing that? Maybe it's just one step at a time. Just focusing on today, not yesterday, not tomorrow or next week. Just focus on today. So... As always, thank you very much for going uh, into a deeper understanding and and digging around in these particular topics so uh, the people that are listening can have an opportunity to themselves do a little bit more investigating, a little bit more contemplating about these topics, and hopefully will be invited into their own transformational journey. Again, Kylie and Dalton, thank you. Our pleasure, always. Thank you. Thank you very much for being here today and being on uh, listening to the show. Um, next week we will um, have an, have another guest on, and they will be talking about how their life has been transformed, not only through some of the choices that they made, but th- some of the choices that other people have made. So thank you very much, and we look forward to uh, seeing you next week.